0: Welcome to the latest edition of Bali. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good buddy out there, Seth Robinson. Seth.
1: Hey, we got that new music. I, I hope people
0: weren't too confused by it. I know. We're throwing people off their game there, but I like it. It was well chosen. Very good music. Very <laughs> After good. 100
1: episodes, we had to uh, mix things up a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's a, we're starting on a new page, so That's right. I'm looking forward to the next 100
1: yeah, so to kick things off for the next hundred, we thought that we would finally have our CEO, Todd Thibodeau, on. We we wanted to make sure that we had a hundred episodes in the bag and that this was a real thing, Todd, before we had you, but we're super glad to have you on the
2: show. It's great to be here. It's an interesting time for all of us, so we have a lot to talk about.
0: We sure do. Thanks for joining, Todd. And uh I'm glad we finally had you on for our 101st episode. So we can consider, we consider you here as a sort of launching into uh, hopefully a positive future uh, looking ahead. I was just going to start out by asking you a little bit about some of the more narrowly focused stuff that we've had to deal with here at Comtia, and you in particular have had to deal with given what's been going on for the last three to four months. And it's making you know a pivot to online testing. For our certifications. It's also being able to commandeer a workforce that's had to move to remote working very quickly, and how that is all turning out for us. I think
2: the advantage that we had was having liberal telecommuting policies in place and having a lot of remote staff from the beginning. We've had remote staff working around the world in offices in seven different countries for all during my tenure and even before that. And we have a large portion of our staff that's not based in in our Chicago headquarters, and even those who do. Years ago, we implemented a a two-day-a-week telecommuting policy, so I think the transition for us was almost effortless and seamless because most of the staff had quality broadband, because we do a broadband reimbursement for staff, and they have to get broadband of a certain quality to qualify for that. People had dual monitor setups with keyboards, printers, mice. We've had a notebook environment for many years for the staff. So being able to take computers back and forth was pretty easy, I believe. So I think that part of it was good. I think the challenging part for some of the staff was probably having to deal with children at home during the workday, having their spouse at home during the workday, all these different things that they never had to deal with prior, they were having to deal with on a daily basis. And I think that made it challenging. I talked to a number of the staff, probably almost all the staff, at least a couple times through this. And I think in the beginning, there were probably about 30% of people who were really thriving in the environment. They're like, wow, this working 100% from home is really good. And then there were 40% that were kind of struggling with the challenges of working remote, being isolated, and not knowing what they would do, having to do lots of online meetings that they didn't really have to do before, because a lot of their coworkers were in the office as well. And then the other group were just kind of going with the flow. So I think that was pretty easy for us we did see some disruption in our business for a short period of time and so we took cost-cutting steps and we were lucky that we do pursue a lot of projects and do have resources to pursue a lot of different things and we were able to put a number of non-essential things on hold to ensure that we didn't have to do any layoffs or furloughs or pay cuts so we took some other kind of non-salary steps as part of that but i think for the most part we've we've come out of that and Right now, we're actually tracking for the year to have our revenue only be down by less than double digits, which is pretty good considering we had a six to eight week period where there was probably a lot of question about how the rest of our year might unfold, so that was really good. But I think the biggest, biggest challenge you mentioned was really important, was taking our exams from being 100% in live in-person test centers to being 100% delivered remotely for the most part. Pearson view, our partner in our exam world, really stepped up big time for us and in the course of a month through the efforts of Pearson and the internal team we were able to get a full complete infrastructure up online for all of our exams and that really helped save the day. I can say that as an employee you know going through this you know there
1: was just a lot of nerve-wracking parts about the whole situation and it was nice to not have to worry about work once we got some of the basics taken care of, right? I mean, I think we, we had, a, all of us had a period of not knowing what was going on. But, you know, then we, we did make the transition to, you know, online testing, online work, remote work. And I think that that, that helped smooth things over quite a bit. I, I know there's been a lot of discussion around about, like, what people did right and wrong, you know, in transitioning their their workforce, and I think so much of that has started to come back to actually what people did beforehand and kind of the mentality that they had beforehand. And I think we've seen with digital transformation, it's not so much having the tools, it's about having the culture. And I know you're you know, really into technology and you've always pushed us on that front. So you know, would, would you kind of agree with that or, or from your perspective, seeing any other businesses, do you think it's been a lot about the, the attitudes that they had in place before this all started?
2: I think that's 100% correct. A lot of these people are only now coming to the realization, oh my gosh, we can actually trust our employees to work from home. (laughs) Why why do we have, why are we paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for this commercial real estate? So I think that it it had a lot to do with those attitudes. And I'm, I'm still running into some people that I've talked to that say, gosh, I can't wait to get all the people back together. And I'm thinking, they probably don't all want to come back to get together. So this idea that it's gonna go back to something that it, that it was. I just, I just don't think that's gonna happen. I think that's completely unrealistic because people have gotten a taste of what it means to not have to commute every day, to be able to work on their own, the hours that they wanna work. People who never got a taste of that before because their companies didn't have any of these policies. I think those things will really have to change. Yeah. So I appreciate the fact that we were, that we were prepared, that we had already wanted to live in that world and so it was easier for us. But I think it, it was a tough transition for, for some people that I've talked to. They they lost a month, two months, three months of productivity because they didn't have any computers. Their employees didn't have broadband.
0: There mm-hmm. were
2: all these different things that they didn't have in place. If this had happened and there hadn't been a business downturn but people had had to work from home, boy, they really would have been in, problem, in trouble because having the downturn and business slackening a bit probably gave them a little bit of room to prepare. but I think a lot of it, the stories will be about how well people were prepared for it ahead of time. The people that did thrived and it was no big deal. And the people who who didn't, they really struggled. And then they came out of it hopefully with a new mindset.
0: Yeah, I've read the articles about companies who their culture is very much not progressive in terms of these types of things. And they had a majority of their employees who did not even have laptops. And then at home, they didn't have a computer. So you're right, I mean, you went that, that, that is a big undertaking to get people outfitted quickly, if you can even afford to do that as a company, if it wasn't something that wasn't budgeted for anyway.
2: I was at a micro center probably a couple days after we closed our office. There were lines out the door of people buying notebooks. And yep. I asked a couple of the people <laughs> online, they said, yeah, we're having to send our employees home and they don't even have computers. So I know exactly what you're talking about. They were scrambling
0: mm-hmm So I was thinking we would move to thinking about the future. I know we're in the middle of this quagmire right now, and it's it's we don't know when the end of it is, but I think we need to be at least some forward looking in terms of where we think some of the trends are going, and we spend a lot of time on emerging tech and have been for the last couple of years. At CompTIA, and I know Todd, this is an area for you that's very important. And so we, we can start there, or you can start wherever you'd like, but just thinking about once we get out of this stasis that we're in, thinking about what's going to be hot, what are the things we need to be thinking about in another year or two years?
2: I think a lot of the challenge of doing that is understanding which industries are going to be impacted for what duration of time. So, one of the exercises I did one day when I was a little bit bored. I have a big whiteboard in my home office and I started to kind of trace out different industries and I maybe looked at the airline industry and said okay if the airline industry stays in this situation where passenger totals are way down, fuel costs continue to be cheap during a time, some of them may be going to bankruptcy or have to merge, how long will that go and then kind of what are the offshoots of that, what kind of impacts would that have on, on different industries And then you kind of go through that with a whole bunch of of other ones. So if road traffic doesn't get back up to where it needs to be, if if the health industry continues to be inundated with all kinds of issues, I think we kind of have to be thinking about which industries are going to be impacted. The restaurant industry is going to be impacted for years to come. Mm. Lots of restaurants are going to go out of business as a result of this. Concert venues, hospitality, all these different industries. I think we have to kind of come to to terms with what the impacts might be on some of these because it's, it's not gonna go back quickly if we have even a minor second wave of this and then we see it coming through like the flu does and come back every year. You know, what are the impacts of, of that gonna be? So I think that's, that's where we kinda all have to start is to think about the differential impacts on different industries to see what those, those might be what we'll do if, if there's consolidation, what will happen if some of those companies go out of business to see what things, I don't think we'll see like any major new technologies will emerge as a result of this. I think a lot of the things that are necessary for companies to be successful and operate within this, they were already there because tech was already employed. I mean, this is just validated the cloud a million times over this whole experience, being able to have access to all your information off premise, applications being hosted in the cloud, all these things that have been in place for a few years. I would like to see a dramatic kind of reimagining of what online conferences can be and what online meetings could really be. I mean, that might turn out to be one of the biggest negative impacts of this whole thing if we don't see people kind of come back together in large in-person conferences, meetings, face-to-face activity, is the loss of spontaneity and how much of that We owe to the creativity and innovation that we have in our economy because of that. And I'd really hate to see that be lost. You can't have that level of sidebar and spontaneity that you can have in a face-to-face meeting. You can't have that in an online meeting. And so we have to kind of reimagine what online meetings might be capable of doing, because I think that's going to be a big one. In terms of of tech, I mean, think about even even some of the protests that, that have been happening and the, the future of policing and law enforcement and the use of AI for monitoring and some of these other things, there might be greater offshoots and greater impacts long-term on the tech industry from that, from the, the changing in the way that the policing might happen moving forward than comes from COVID itself, I think. So I think we have to look at, at both of those, those impacts. But as it relates to COVID, I start by looking at the industries that are most impacted and how, and how long are they gonna see impacts and will you see long term changes in those business models.
1: One of the things we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast and in a few other venues has been, you know, the, this notion that everyone says nothing's ever going to be the same. And I think in a lot of ways uh, that that'll get cast in kind of a negative light, you know, saying we're never going to go back to the way it was. But we've talked about the fact that it's not probably going to be on either end of the spectrum. We're not going to go all the way back to the way it was, and it's not going to be all the way to the way it is today, but there's going to be hybrids all over the place. And and what it really is is a lot of opportunity uh, to explore what new business models might look like if you're trying to create some of these hybrid things and you're using some of the things that worked before and some of the things that we've learned as we, as we've gone through this. And I think some of your examples are perfectly in line with that, talking about online conferences and online meetings and, and even the travel industry and, and what that looks like. How much do you think people will begin exploring new things? And, and do you think there'll be a lot of creativity that comes out of this? Or, or are people going to be a little stuck feeling like they're trying
2: to get back to the way it was? That's a very good question. And I think that depends on how invested you were in the business model that you had prior to all this. So if you were a restaurant owner and you'd been operating your restaurant for 15 years in one particular way, and then COVID comes along and you can't even open your door for months, depending on what part of the country that you're in, maybe people got used to having home food delivery in your area and those businesses operate on razor thin margins and your sales maybe go down by 10%, 15%, you're probably out of business. Are you gonna have the resources, wherewithal to adapt? How do you adapt? I mean, if you're already on GrubHub, if you're already on DoorDash, if you're already on these places and these things are happening to you, I'm not sure you have much recourse. So again, it's a matter of identifying how long some of these disruptions will be in place and whether they might be permanent. So I like to call what you talked about at the beginning, I call that the fallacy of now, is that (laughs) people think that what's happening now is gonna happen forever. And that they're living in the most interesting time ever more interesting than any other time in history. And you've heard me talk about before the, the period in post-Civil War America through the 1920s, where we saw way more disruptive, truly disruptive technologies come to the economy and come to the world than we've ever seen in history, way more than, than what we're living through now, during that time where we got the car and the airplane, and the transcontinental railroad and refrigeration and pneumatic tires and all these different things that, that we got that just amazingly changed life well, I don't think we're on that kind of scale from this transformation, but would this push hospitality to look even more at virtual reality? I don't know, maybe. Do we need so many restaurants? I don't know. Is this gonna push people to cook more at home? I don't know. So it's it's really gonna be dependent on differential impacts. We we were looking at some of those before, like what, what are driverless cars gonna to do to the insurance industry when people aren't paying the same kind of premiums on vehicles that they were before. And the insurance industry, you know they're giving these discounts during this downturn. I think State Farm and other I maybe mean, was Allstate was doing 15% discounts. They're making some of those permanent because people are just driving less. Their whole business model got way more profitable actually during this time because nobody was driving and having accidents. So some people, a few people benefited, but I think most people, most people didn't. No things are ever normal. Things always evolve. So it's never gone back to anything because normal is always evolving anyway. I think this idea that we'll go back to to something every industry is always having to evolve, governments having to evolve too. businesses evolve, and people will evolve to to new realities. I think it'd be interesting to see what kind of new businesses pop up as a result that aren't related to rubber gloves and disinfecting wipes and (laughs) other things. But we won't see those for what those truly were in, in sustainable models for months. I mean, we could look back a year from now and we might not still see things that really emerge that will stick. We might see some pop-up kinds of things, but it'll take quite a bit longer than that to see what things really changed and what things were new that are are gonna stick around. Well,
0: I'm all about silver linings and I didn't ever want a pandemic to happen to have to talk about silver linings. But I wonder, one of the things that has benefited, you talked about no commuting and much less driving, The, the climate, the environment has benefited from this. Oddly enough, we see smog from previously smogged in cities disappearing, that sort of thing. I wonder if we could localize it a little bit to the the tech industry. And do you see any opportunity areas for different types of companies in the tech industry or different types of workers in the tech industry right now to be able to capitalize a little bit on what we're going through?
2: Someone asked me this. I did an interview about what the tech worker will be different as a result of this. One of the the most important things is, boy, if you don't have really strong soft skills in this kind of environment where you're not dealing face-to-face with your boss, probably you're not dealing face-to-face with the people you're working with, you're not dealing face-to-face with the people that you're helping, you better be really good at communication. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not, the company's not gonna value you. So soft skills as a starter for every role and every person working in tech, you really better up your game. Because this is a world that's gonna require even more of that. It's going to require patience. So you don't talk over people that you understand that you can't just run and and talk to someone that I know that people live on IM and chat, but they also do a lot of, of things face to face and especially from a customer support standpoint. So I think the tech worker of the future better get even better at soft skills. We already knew that it was the primary driver employers were looking for, but certainly need to have that understanding the business, this idea. And we talk about that the, the perfect set of core pillars for any tech training program is business acumen, soft skills, and then the tech core. But I think the soft skills piece of it really went up. For the training space in particular for us, this idea that the classroom-based learning was the gold standard for training, that's really gone out the window. And we had done some work on our own looking at some exam results, half a million of those over the last three years to see how people trained for the exams and found that people who did classroom-based learning actually did worse than people who did, used a textbook, had some on-the-job training and did really good computer-based, self-paced tools. So I think the learning industry is gonna be dramatically transformed. As far as the environment, it was great to see the stories of animals starting to invade back on human turf, pollution levels going down. One of the things that'll be interesting to see if it's a long-term trend will be, we had been going towards an urbanization where people had been moving back into cities and concentrations of people because that's where all the jobs were but if we remain even even if it's 10 percent of the jobs that went remote as a result of this stay remote that'll have huge lasting impacts on that urbanization trend this idea that you have to move to a big city to be surrounded by all these people whereas maybe people who worked in more remote rural areas didn't have as much impact from from COVID. although some of that's yet to be seen But I think for the tech industry in particular, this idea of creating and supporting these virtual models is the most immediate thing that jumps out. I can't really think of of something where you just be like, well, duh, there's like this aha moment where you kind of smack your, your forehead and say, wow, why didn't we think of that before? I just don't see that resulting from this. There'll be some niche opportunities, but I think the opportunities that are driving the majority of the revenue, cyber, cloud, mobilization, Remote work, those things that were driving things before, they'll be the primary drivers going forward. And, and the other bigger evolutions, those things take place over a much longer period of time than what this will drive. But we could be wrong. A year from now, we, something will, will have emerged. But I don't think there's anything that, that jumps to top of mind for me.
1: So Todd, maybe to bring this full circle here, you've mentioned some of the things that we'll probably be focusing on in our training and certification business. What about some of the other businesses that we have here at CompTIA looking at our membership, you know, within the IT industry and in the IT channel, looking at the advocacy that we do? What do you think some of the, the focus areas will be for those groups moving forward as, as we try to lead the discussion on, on what it's going to mean to have tech in, in the new economy?
2: Well, we were extremely lucky that years prior we made investments in training content because if we had not had that and we had been entirely dependent on exam revenue, we would have lost virtually two months of exam revenue from our bottom line for 2020. So making those investments in developing textbooks and online learning simulation tools or CertMaster product line, so the companies that we purchased to make those investments paid off in huge dividends for us during this time. Because we've seen really no, after a six week period where people were like deer in the headlights, what should I do? We haven't seen any real major diminution in the demand for our products. And that's partially because we have such a full range. I think the area where we want to play an even bigger part though is in training. And I think a lot of states recognize that they have a lot of at-risk employees that live in their states. People who are in industries that If we see something like this happen again, or something, heaven forbid, we have some kind of chemical attack or something like that, where large swaths of people are asked to stay at home, they recognize that they have a lot of workers who are gonna be at risk, and and they want to make transitions to new skill sets for some of these folks. So I think we can play a big part in that. So we've been very active during this, this period, working with states to identify job training programs where we do everything from soup to nuts, where we provide the material and the the trainers and help bring the students along and then help work with employers in some situations to help them get jobs. And I hope that we're able to expand that. And that could be something where we focus even more of our advocacy efforts is on helping to create better diversity in the industry and use this as an opportunity to bring in more people from backgrounds that aren't represented as fully as they should be in the tech industry. So that we may play a much bigger part in that. For our members themselves, I think we put up a COVID resources site very early on in the process, very early in, in March. I think even before the office, our offices were closed. And we got in touch with thousands of people that had never really engaged with us before. And then we did our a and our annual member meeting towards the end of March and had attendance there and participation that was far in, in excess of what we could have done face to face. I think the the industry that's relied on a lot of small niche face-to-face meetings, I think they're discovering that a lot of those are probably not necessary and that they can find other ways to meet people, engage with them. But then taking that a step further, how do you really engage with them in ways online that that you're not going to do? Because I think it's going to be a while before a majority of people are going to want to get in a room with a thousand other people barring any Trump rally or anything like that. So we'll see. I wasn't,
0: I wasn't going to say that, but you
2: did. <laughs> we'll see how, well, how things go there. But I think for, for our membership as a whole, we've just tried to be there for them in any ways that we can. We've done a few surveys of the membership to see where they are, to see what their positions are, what their needs are. But this has been really interesting. I think we've gotten a chance to engage with, with lots of people that engage with us now online and have gotten used to that. People who didn't download our online resources are doing it now. People who didn't attend virtual meetings are doing it now. So I think we've been able to keep and grow a lot of the momentum that we had on an ongoing basis. So it hasn't necessarily been a bad thing for us in that way. Not having a channel con this year. I mean, that's a pretty good party. People like to come together and see each other at that. And hopefully we'll get a chance to go back to that next year. But I think we'll be able to create a really rich virtual experience for people and hopefully they'll enjoy that nearly as much, probably not quite the same. But I'm not sure what travel policies are gonna be like for companies. I think one of the things we haven't addressed was what has really been deemed essential now. When people really came down to it, I think they realized there's not that many bits of their travel that are truly essential. And Mm -hmm. if companies stick to essential travel being the only travel that's allowed, we'll see a substantial decrease in the amount of air miles everybody's putting in.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I think that the world of work in terms of the logistics and how people move around is going to change dramatically. I will put one plug in there, though. I do think that there is definitely a need, as you said, for some in-person interaction, because I, I think as humans, we 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 like that. We need that. But I do think it's going to change.
2: I so, just want to mention one other thing that, that I think I've seen some stories on it, and this will be something that I think will will be written about so we talk about people who are who are older, maybe retired, and how isolated they become and what that does to your physical or your psychological well-being. I think we all got a little bit of a taste of that during this, that being isolated at home, not having that face-to-face interaction, even if your family was around. But we had lots of our own staff who weren't married, who didn't necessarily stay with family who were on their own. And I think it was a it was a pretty tough situation for them. And I think we all got a taste of that. And I I hope that. We don't get another taste of that because it really wasn't, I'm sure for those people, it wasn't that fun.
0: No, agreed. Couldn't agree more. Well, Todd, I want to um, just thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We hadn't had you before, so it's a long time coming. And I know Seth and I are very appreciative.
1: Yeah, maybe we won't wait another 100 episodes
2: to have you back. (laughs) Whenever you want to have me, I'm ready to go. Awesome.
0: Sounds great. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, thanks for joining us all on Bali.
1: Thanks. Take care, everyone.